0: You know, the Bible says God inhabits the praises of His people. You know what inhabit means? Anybody? It means to live in, to dwell in. He abides in our praises. So when we praise, it's just not this thing we do on Sunday morning. Actually, by praising, we're inviting God's presence. Nobody needs God's presence more than I do right now. Amen? Amen? God has called me to deliver a message that I pray connects with every heart in this place. That you'll walk out of here differently. There's a place in Scripture, and I don't even know where it's at. It's in the Old Testament for sure, but it talks about the temple. One of the requirements was that they come in one door and they went out another. Let me just say, when I read that, I thought, we need to come into God's temple one way maybe, but we need to leave out another way. Changed in heart, changed in body, changed in soul, changed in mind, that God is going to do what He wants to do, and that's my prayer today. And today, I'm only going to do two back-to-back sermons, and I'll still keep it shorter than Saran's message last week. Amen? (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't that great, though. Wasn't that awesome? Well, mine's not going to be quite that long, but I believe God has something amazing in store for every one of us. Today, we're picking back up on our sermon series, Won't You Be My Neighbor? How many remember Mr. Rogers' Won't You Be My Neighbor show? Well, let me... Tell you, God didn't, Jesus, I mean, Mr. Rogers wasn't the first one to come up with that thought. Jesus did. Won't you be my neighbor? All through the scriptures, Jesus has a whole lot to say about what it means to be a neighbor. Especially a good neighbor. If you know anything about the Bible, it's full of crazy, I'll just say crazy, amazing stories. But I think the problem is with some of these stories, sometimes we read through them so quickly, we... Or we become so overly familiar with them that we lose the intensity of the scripture. We lose the weight of the message that Jesus and the story he's telling. So we're going to be in Mark chapter 2 today. If you have your Bibles, if not, we've got the scriptures on the screen. But what is happening to set this up, Jesus has come to town. He's preaching. He's at the height of his popularity at this moment. He's shaking up the religious establishment. He's turning the religious world upside down. He's doing miracles. He's creating this big shake-up all across Galilee. Let's say you would relate to this. He's like a rock star of his day. People are thronging him to either see a miracle or witness or experience a miracle for themselves. So look what it says in Mark chapter 2, verse 1. When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room, not even outside the door. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, My child, your sins are forgiven. Think about the picture here. Jesus is back in town. He's preaching. There are four guys that want to hear him preach. And they've got this particular friend that has a condition that that he's paralyzed, he's sick, he's on a mat. So they go over to this guy's house. They literally pick their friend up on the mat and take him to where Jesus is preaching. Get this in your mind for just a minute. These guys are picking up their fully grown friend on a mat and walking, I'll say stumbling through the rocky roads of Galilee or Capernaum to get to this house where Jesus is preaching and teaching. So when they get to the house, and some scholars believe that this is actually Peter's mother-in-law's house, and we think that because just a chapter earlier, um, Jesus is at Peter's mother-in-law's house, and he's preaching, he's teaching, he's doing a great many miracles. So when they get to this house, they find out that people have come from all over Galilee. As far as Judea, Jerusalem, they're in the house, and it's so packed that no one else can get in. I mean, the doors are just busting out, the, people are hanging out the windows, nobody can get in, and I'm thinking, wait a minute, if I were one of these four guys carrying my friend on a mat, I would probably say, no sweat, guys, don't worry about it, this guy, this dude's got to stop preaching sometime, and we're going to hang out here by the backstage door, we're going to catch him on his way out, we'll let our friend have an encounter with Jesus that way. Well, these friends weren't like that, that wasn't satisfying enough for these uh, four friends. I don't know what kind of conversation they had, but I'm thinking outside the box. I'm thinking one of the guys probably says, hey, no big deal. The door doesn't work. Pick another route. And then one of the guys says, well, why don't we try the roof? So they go up on the roof. They're looking at the roof. What do we do now? Well, we dig a hole through the roof, of course. And if you don't know anything about first century Galilee and the construction of their homes back then, they were made up, their roofs were made up of timber, timber of tree branches, of logs, of uh, tree limbs. And over top of that, they had this really thick, heavy coating of clay on top of all of it. Think about it. These guys are digging a hole through all of that. And they're not digging a little hole that's just a little annoying when it rains. You get a drip, 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 drip. No. They're digging a hole big enough to drop a fully grown man, not only him, but on his mat, through the roof. Think about that. Take a moment to realize this in your mind. Jesus is in there preaching and teaching. I don't know if he's sitting down or standing up, but I can just see Jesus in that audience that's jam-packed, all of a sudden hearing a noise above him, all of a sudden feeling and seeing these little crumbs starting to drop on his head uh, among the other people there. All of a sudden the branches are starting to fall. Tree limbs are starting to fall. All of a sudden chunks of clay are starting to fall. And I can just imagine, and I'm wondering what Jesus is thinking. I'm also wondering what the people around him are thinking, and I'm definitely wondering what Peter's mother-in-law is thinking, amen? They're destroying her house. But with all that said, I say that brings us to a whole new level of won't you be my neighbor. A whole new level of won't you be my neighbor. These guys figure out a way to lower their friend through the roof. I don't know how they did it. I don't know if they took off their robes and made a pulley system I don't know if they used ropes or had ropes or whatever, but they lowered him down right in front of Jesus. Imagine this for a minute. All eyes are locked upon Jesus, wondering what he's going to do. A few glances might have been glancing over to Peter's mother-in-law, checking out what she's going to do. But Jesus is looking at this man on the floor in front of him. This man is on the floor looking up at Jesus, and then I can imagine Jesus looking up to the hole in the roof and seeing foreheads. Four faces looking down at him, wondering what's going to happen next. Well, I'll tell you what's going to happen next. Verse 5 tells us, seeing their faith, that's important, seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. Those guys on the roof might have been thinking, not exactly what we came for, but it's still a good thing. You know, they might have been uh, thinking uh, that way, but the Pharisees were thinking another. The religious people were thinking, wait a minute. They start to grumble because they think, wait a minute, God is the only one qualified. God is the only one that has authority to actually forgive anyone of their sins. It says in verse 6, Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? So they're thinking, who does this dude Jesus think he is? Granting forgiveness of sins. Jesus knows because he's a reader of the heart. He knows what they're thinking in their hearts. And I can just imagine him saying, oh yeah? Well, you guys just watch this. No, he didn't say that. (laughs) That's how we think. Jesus didn't say that, but look what happens in verse 8. Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take up your mat, and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, take up your, get up, take up your mat, and go home. I tell you, take up your mat and go home. All eyes had to be on this man. What's going to happen next? I would imagine you could have heard a pen drop in that room. Verse 12 tells us what happens next. He got up. He took up his mat and he walked out in full view of them all. And look what happens next. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never, ever seen anything like this in our lives. Let me just put this in perspective. That man walked out with a new faith. That man walked out of that house with a new faith. He even walked out of that house with brand new legs, all because of the faith of four true friends. Four true friends that were determined to get their friend to Jesus Even if they had to tear up a person's house to do it, to make it happen, amen? So with, and that's faith, amen? So with that said, we're in our neighbor series. I want to pull out a few things from this text I think Jesus is trying to tell us this morning. The first one is, if you're taking notes, friends, friends, friends carry the mat. Real friends carry the mat. This man lived his life on his mat. That was his home. That was his safety. That was his security. That was his identity. It was also a symbol of his weakness. It was symbolic of everything that was wrong with his life. It was symbolic of the things that made it really hard to be in a relationship with uh, that type of guy. It was the thing that I believe could have, he could have used to keep people away from him. His condition. I believe his condition was actually making a statement to the world around him that you don't want to get too close to this. You don't want to get too close to my condition. It's the thing that he could have been ashamed for people to know about, for people to see, for people to touch. Fearful that someone was going to come too close. On the other hand or side of that equation, it could have been the very thing that his friends could have used to say, we don't want to get involved with you in this relationship because everything we get involved with you is going to be so much harder, take so much longer, especially when it comes to taking you to Jesus. But these weren't those kind of friends. These four friends knew that there was a burden to bear if they were going to be in a relationship with a guy like that. And not only a, a burden, physical burden to bear, there was going to be a spiritual burden to bear because back in that day, if you were in relationship with that kind of person that had that kind of condition, a lot of people thought they were in that kind of condition because of some kind of sin in their life, and they're wondering, why in the world are you hanging around with this guy? These four friends didn't think like that at all. This man on the mat didn't look at those four friends. I can't imagine him saying to his four friends, hey, don't get too close to this. Don't touch me. Don't help me. And I can't imagine those four friends looking at him and say, we're not going to help you. We're not going to touch you. We're not going to get near your situation. That point, instead of being a barrier to their relationship, that mat, that painful thing actually become a catalyst. It created the possibility of a miracle. Because they were willing to touch, get into this guy's mess, get into this guy's awkwardness, get into this guy's problem. It opened the door, an opportunity for a miracle. With that said, you realize that everyone sitting in this place, we all have our mats. We all, every one of us have our mats. It's the thing that we're nervous for someone else to find out about because we think if they find out about it, they won't want to have anything to do with us. Maybe it's something in our past, maybe it's some insecurity, maybe it's some fear in our life, something we tried to hide, something we tried to avoid. Maybe it's something that we try to cover up, put a band-aid on, put a mask on. It's the thing that we're afraid that if we let it out, and if we open up and get real about our situation, no one's going go, to want to get close to us. No one's going to have anything to do with us because it's way too hard. I believe that's when that's the exact thing we need to confess. That's the exact moment we need to ask help. That's the exact moment we need to admit to our insecurities, our weaknesses. It might be the tragedy, the trauma, the trial that you're going through and just trying to survive. As Rachel said in our announcements, maybe it's the hurt, the habit, or the hang-up that we're trying to just crawl our way through. Maybe it's something, some sin we've committed. Maybe it's some sin that somebody else has committed against us. Maybe it's something in your past. Maybe it's something in your personality. Maybe it's something in your family. Maybe it's something in your finances. Maybe it's something in your circumstances that you're doing everything you can to hide. Because if anyone ever finds out about this, they're not going to get close to me. They're not going to want to be in relationship with me. They're not going to love me. They're not going to care for me. I believe we can use that very thing, that mat, to keep people away or I believe we can use that very thing to invite people in. I believe we can keep people at arm's distance, or we can invite them into our situation, because I believe with all of my heart that that pain can be the path to restoration and healing in your life. So let me ask you the big question, who's carrying your mat? Who's carrying your mat? Because your miracle might be right on the other side of your weakness. On the other hand, whose mat are you carrying? Because their mat might be right on the other side of your willingness to step into their mess. Step into their problems. Step into their uh, situation that would inconvenience you, discomfort you. Whose mat are you carrying and who's carrying your mat? Anybody ever heard of the Redwood Forest out in California? I've never seen them. I've seen pictures of them. I would love to go out and see the redwood forest of California, the the sequoia trees that grow upwards of 300 feet tall. Just these amazing structures, these amazing trees. But I found out the crazy thing about these trees is that their root systems aren't actually all that deep. For 300 foot of tree above ground, their root systems sometimes are only like 12 feet down in the ground. So I found out the strength of these trees The anchoring point of these trees is not necessarily how deep their roots grow. But you know what it is? It's how intertwined they are with the root systems around them, the trees around them. No sequoia or redwood grows on its own. So it's not the depths of their roots that keep these massive trees upright. It's how tightly they're intertwined and interconnected with the root systems of the trees around them. With that said... I would say God created us as people in much the same way. When it comes to following Christ and being spiritually mature, a lot of people think it's how deep I am spiritually. It's not necessarily how deep you are spiritually, it's how interconnected you are spiritually. First of all to God, but also to the family of God. So who's carrying your mat? The second uh, point I want to bring out today is when we carry the mat, We change somebody's story. Do you realize that when you are willing to carry somebody's mat, you can change their whole story? You can change their identity. You can change their uh, destination. We create new stories in people's lives. We create and activate new life. This man in this scene, in this story, he walked away from that house completely changed. He had a whole new life. He basically had a whole new attitude, outlook, identity, all because of the faith of his friends. You had to catch that in that first scripture. It wasn't this man that was sick, his faith that did it. It was the faith of his four friends that actually, because of their faith, they created a new story in this friend's life. I love Andy Stanley. In one of his books, he wrote, "'Your friends will determine the quality and direction of your life. "'Show me who your friends are, whose voices are the loudest in your ears.'" and whose opinions matter the most. And he says, I can make some pretty good predictions about where you're heading. If you tell me all that, I can tell you where you're headed, where your destination is. This man in our story today, his whole life was changed because of their faith, because of his friend's faith. With that said, whose faith is changing your life? Whose faith is changing your life, and whose life is being changed because of Your faith, maybe that's a bigger question. When I think of faith, I think sometimes we think of it as a mental exercise. We think of it as some spiritual mental mental exercise that we have to work ourselves up into a spiritual frenzy to the point of just hopefulness and wishful thinking. This story wasn't like that at all. It wasn't just about wishful thinking and hopefulness. This story and their faith was actually active. It was alive. It was physical. It was tangible. It was hard work. But I look back at the beginning of that story. Their faith, the faith of these four friends, were manifested in the fact that they were willing to go get their friend, pick him up on a mat, carry him. I don't know how far it was. I know it's pretty rugged terrain, but they were willing to take him to the house. And when they got to the door and couldn't get in, they didn't stop there. They went up on the roof. When they saw no hole in the roof, they made a hole in the roof. They lowered their friend down to Jesus. I believe that these friends believed with all of their heart that spiritual maturity... And experiencing what God wants in your life sometimes takes a little bit of hard work. Takes a little bit of sweat. And I believe these guys were, were, were guys that believed that that little bit of sweat could have actually been the stuff that watered the seeds of miracles. Amen? It could have been the exact, same, the exact thing that needed to happen in order to get the man the miracle that he needed. Think about it. Someone else's miracle is on the other side of you being willing to take a risk. It's right on the other side of you being willing to take a risk, no matter how big or small that risk is. It's on the other side of you willing to push past convenience, push past comfort. It's on the other side of your checkbook. It's on the other side of your calendar. It's on the other side of your faith. But these friends were willing to lend their faith to their friend. They were willing to lend it. They were willing to support him with it. And when they did, it changed his story. But you know the story doesn't stop there it not only changed his story, it changed the story of the whole entire community. Look what it says in verse 12. It says that this amazed everyone and they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. What's cool about these four friends? I love this. What they did activated a new story in their friend's life. What they did activated a new story in their community because everyone that saw that miracle knew that something supernatural of God just happened. There was no doubt They started praising God. And so the miracle of the faith of these four friends isn't just that they carried the mat, isn't just that they got their friend to Jesus as hard as it was, and his life was transformed. I believe the miracle of faith was that these four friends, because of their faith, set the stage for Jesus to show up, and I'll just say it, show off. Jesus to show up and show out. Because of what they did and their faith, Jesus was able to step into a place where he could show them his power. He could show them his compassion. He could show them his character. I believe their faith unleashed a miracle and the results of their faith actually became the talk of the town. You know, when miracles happen, it can become the talk of the town. Amen? There are miracles happening around us every day. But the question is, Whose mat are you carrying? Who are you lending your faith to? Who's carrying your mat? Because when we carry the mat, when we're willing to get in the dirt with somebody, when we're willing to get into the uh, uh, highs and lows of people, let's just stress the lows. We carry the mat, we change their story. But not only their story, we can change the story of everyone around us. Where we work, where we go to school, where we live, all that can be changed. When Jesus taught in the Bible what the church is supposed to do, he used some metaphors to describe the church. I'll just list a few of them. He lists the church as a family, as a field, and as a temple. He called the church the family because it tells us we have a place at God's table. We all have a place that believe in God, believe in Jesus Christ, at the table of God where we're loved, where we're known, where we're welcomed, where we belong. The temple declares that the church... We the people, the church, carry the presence of God with us everywhere we go. The field says that wherever the church is, there should be fruit. And there should be a harvest. But one of my favorite metaphors that Jesus uses in the scriptures to describe the church is the body. The body. I love what Apostle Paul says in in Romans chapter 12, verses 4 and 5. He says, just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function... So it is with Christ's body. We're all parts of his one body, right? We're all parts of his one body, and that scripture says, being all parts of one body, we all have a function to play. We have a job to do. And since we're all part of the body of Christ, we actually belong to one another. We're supposed to be interconnected like the sequoias, amen, like the redwoods. We're living, breathing, walking around representations of Jesus' hands and his feet, And when we walk together in community and when we live together in friendship, we are showing a perfect picture of who Jesus Christ is. We're showing a true picture of who Jesus is to the world around us and what Jesus is like and what he does. You might be here today, and when I'm talking about the body of Christ, you may be thinking, I don't even have a role to play. What I have to offer isn't significant enough, isn't major enough. My gifts are way too small. But I will tell you this about us as people. We want to be the more glamorous parts of the body of Christ. Think about it. We want to be the eyes. We want to be the ears. We want to be the mouth. We want to be the hands. What if I told you you're the big toe of Christ, the body of Christ? Probably insulted you, right? You're thinking, a big toe, come on, give me a break, Pastor. You ever walk without a big toe? I don't know if anybody doesn't have a big toe in here, but you don't have to raise your hand. But let me just say, You've probably found out, I've just heard about it, that it's really hard to navigate without a big toe. It's really hard to walk. It's really hard to balance. It's really hard to sturdy yourself. Okay, I'll insult you one better. What if you were a nose hair in the body of Christ? Ouch! You're thinking, Pastor, no, I want to be the hands and the feet and the mouth and all that. Do you realize how important you are, you nose hairs out there? (laughs) You're part of the body's natural filtration system. You're keeping the body actually from contracting disease and bacteria and infections. So I just want to stop and say, thank you for all the hard work that you do. And I'm not even going to go into the rear ends of the body, amen? (laughs) But I had to include it. But we're all part of the body of Christ. We all have a role to play. And the world only sees a true picture of who Jesus is when we're willing to step up and play that role. You might think, well, I don't really need the body of Christ. Well, let me just correct that you do. But even more than that, the body of Christ needs you. The body of Christ needs you, needs me. We need to play our role because when we play our role, I've already mentioned it, we change the stories of people all around us, wherever we're at. Not only that, of the communities around us. And we show the world who Jesus really is and what he's really like. So if you're a nose hair in the body of Christ, be the best nose hair you can be. Amen? (laughs) Look what Jesus says in John 13, verse 34. Jesus told his disciples, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Think about this, church. What if our love was so profound, And so obvious to the world around us that it described who Jesus was. That it truly tells those around us He is who He says He is. And He does what He says He's going to do. I want to challenge you. I want to ask you this morning. Are you willing to move past comfort and convenience and step into commitment? Are you willing? Because it takes a willingness. It takes a determination. What if we were willing to measure the the level of our friendship with how willing we were to loan our mat to somebody or to carry their mat? What if we would measure the level of our friendship with how close we're willing to get into somebody's mess, into their inconvenient situation? Or how much sweat are we willing to expend or give to carry somebody's mat? Think about that for a minute. Big question is, is our faith, individually and corporately, Changing and transforming somebody's life. Is our faith, your faith, my faith, transforming the lives of those around us? In chapter 16 of Romans, Paul lists a list of names, several names. I'll try to pronounce a few. Rufus, Erastus, Justice, Priscilla, Aquila, Olympus. And on and on it goes. There's about three dozen names listed. And when Paul wrote to the church in Rome, he's basically saying, Church, this is my statement of faith. So he gets to the end of this book, this writing, and he just lets the the credits start rolling. He just starts listing this uh, list of names. It's as though Paul finishes one of his greatest works, and he makes this great statement of faith. He tells his story of faith, and he starts listing all of these names because these were people that were with him on the mission field. These were people that helped him. These were people that fed him. These were people that bankrolled his ministry. These were people that visited him in prison or even went to prison with Paul. They were people that Paul had discipled, but they were all, without a doubt, people that had helped carry his mat. So he gets to the end of his story of faith, and he says, Wait a minute. I can't tell any of my story of faith and leave out any of these names because it wouldn't have happened without these people around me. It's his Romans 16 list, you might say. We all have a Romans 16 list. When it comes to our story of faith, we all have a list of names all around us that are there to say, you wouldn't have been here if I hadn't have been there. And that's not to puff them up because they're just doing their duty. They're fulfilling the call on their life. Maybe it's your small group leader. Maybe it's a teacher at school or a Sunday school teacher. Maybe it's coaches. Maybe it's youth leaders. Maybe it's a praying grandmother that you say, I just can't tell my story of faith without including their names. We all have a Romans 16 list, but I want to turn that question around this morning. Whose Romans 16 list will your name appear on? Whose Romans 16 list will your name show up on? Who are the people that can't tell their story of faith without mentioning your name? Because you carried their mat. Because you went the extra mile. Because you let them borrow a little bit of your faith. Because you were willing to push past comfort and convenience to step into their need. Do you realize this morning, we all, every one of us sitting here has an opportunity, I'll say the privilege, of changing somebody else's story. We serve, and I say this over and over, but it even amazes me, we serve like 21 different communities. You all come from 21 different towns. Can you imagine what we could do if we go out into all 21? Okay, even if we go into 10, and we turn that town upside down for Jesus? We tell them about the love of God that loves them, no matter how big their mat seems to be, no matter how difficult their problem seems to be, they are still God. God wants them to be His child, to love them, and He loves them anyway. But if we would do our job, if we would reach out with the heart of Jesus Christ and willing to get into the muck and the mire, get down in the dirty places and those people that are down and out, and love them with the love of Jesus Christ, you and I could change the world. You and I could have people see the miracles. God has called us all to be a good neighbor, a good neighbor, good Samaritan, to love one another, but to love the world around us and to be willing to pick up their mats and help carry their mats. But it all boils down to a choice, a choice that you and I have to make. This morning, as I have you stand to your feet, could you stand to your feet this morning? You've heard this message. The Bible says His Word never returns void. And I prayed last night as I was up here getting ready for today, that God would touch every heart in this place. That He would do a work in your heart that will get you out of complacency. Maybe you're a little bit too comfortable where you're at. And it will move you into a place where you can touch more people. For the glory of God. Not for your glory. Not to say, hey, look at me. Jesus didn't even do that. But to say, look at him. Look at my Father in heaven that you had discounted. That, he, that you thought discounted you. That you thought you were not good enough for. So this morning with every head bowed, every eye closed. I'm going to ask you this morning. And you don't have to say a word. God sees your heart. Just like he saw even those Pharisees' hearts. He sees our hearts. He knows what's in here. Will you be willing this morning to say, God, I'm going to give it a try? Maybe some of you have already been being the good neighbor. Maybe you've already been out there carrying people's mats, and that's good. There's always more mats to carry. But if you know deep in your heart you haven't been the servant that you need to be, I pray that right now you would say, God, forgive me. And God, I want to be the servant you've called me to be. I want to be a member of the body of Christ. Fulfill the function that you've called me to fulfill. And be all that you've called and destined me to be. Father God, in the name of Jesus, I thank you that you created us to do life together. And that we truly, when we truly love one another, we're actually showing a true picture of who you really are, what you're like, what you're up to in this world. God, I pray that you would help us to carry the mats of other people. But God, maybe the hardest thing for some of us today is to reveal our mat to somebody else, our problem to somebody else. God, I pray that you would give us the courage to let other people step in and support us in our situations, in our weaknesses, in our messes. God, show us where we need to go the extra mile on behalf of someone else, where our sweat can water those seeds of a miracle. God, help us to know the role that we need to play in your body so that we can show the world around us a clearer, more perfect picture of who you are. Father, I thank you for the things that you've accomplished in this service today. I thank you that we're going out to the 21 communities that we're from, and we're going to make a difference as we show them the love of Jesus Christ. And if you believe that with me in your heart, will you say amen? Amen. Amen. God bless. Can we give Jesus just a hand clap of praise this morning? Just a second of praise to glorify him. Hallelujah. Go out and change the world for Jesus. God bless you all.